What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the reopening. What our smartphones and broadband use say about consumers getting back out there. Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg. The economy is coming back. We basically have equally much traffic in the stores right now as we have pre-pandemic. And Damien Hurst, the contemporary artist, getting into crypto and NFTs. A lot of people have kind of talked to me about my work and said I'm often more interested in money than art. Those stories plus the Olympics are starting. Chipotle lanes are buzzing. AMC plays to the apes and the Bucks win. I have to once again thank the people in New Jersey who legalize gambling for, for rejuvenating my love and interest in these things. It's Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's talk about uh, COVID and WHO. The director general of WHO now speaking out in Tokyo ahead of the Olympic Games. He's warning the world is going into the early stages of what he's calling another COVID wave. He slammed what he called a global failure to share vaccines, tests and treatments, which uh, is fueling a two-track pandemic. He said the longer the pandemic drags on, the more socioeconomic turmoil there will bring. May these games be the moment that unites the world and ignites the solidarity and determination we need to end the pandemic together. May the Olympic torch be a symbol of hope that traverses the planet. And may the rays of hope from this land of the rising sun illuminate a new dawn for a world that's healthier, safer and fairer. Big debate, though, about the idea of sharing the vaccines, not just sharing the vaccines, but sharing the technology behind the vaccines and the, effectively the patents behind the vaccines and whether we need to do that or not. That seems to be one of the things well, that he's the, talking about. The bigger issue, though, if you share the technology, meaning give it away and allow other companies to this use it, a it's, a pretty question. Com- it's a pretty complicated process. You're going to have shortages in, in terms of the things There's that are a- made to make any of those vaccines. So does it make sense to let somebody else manufacture right. it or just say ramp up the manufacturing at the existing facility? There's a very practical, practical question about it in terms of just physically yeah, how many it's can, not gonna how many can get manufactured in time. Right. right. And the way it's done now is probably faster than trying the people that I, know how to do it. Unfortunately, I think people who are arguing that it should be shared, I mean, shared when I say shared, sh- just share the technology. Give it away. It's, it's a philosophical view. It is not, I right. would argue, to a practical Agree. view, uh, though that is not a popular thing to say aloud these days. $20 billion bust is a journal talking about the Japan Olympics. And, and I, you know, we got a great deal on the Olympics. I'm talking NBC and uh, you remember when that, that deal was signed. So yep. we've got a vested interest in pulling this off, too. And, I, and we all it just broadcast what we just said is as, as living on the planet. Not everyone lives here. Some people leave the planet and come back. I, I hate the, the haters that, that are pissed off about that. I mean, I think it's so ridiculous that it, did you see all the carping and second guessing I about did. about 
Did you see the John Stewart? No, is he is he not like it either? What they well, theirs was actually a pretty funny take. It it wasn't it wasn't all of the why should we be doing this. It was a little bit more. They don't know why we should be doing this. They don't know about. Give it a look. I I can't talk about what. No, okay. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) seriously, it's not. But but we but we digress. But it'd be for all of us that do live on this planet. We're all hoping for a great Olympics because it's it's just watching. You know, us attain things that <laughs> is there any Olymp- I'm trying to think where could I uh, just no there's nothing but these people do amazing things and there's not a single sport summer or winter maybe curl no we we, we were bad at that yes curling. we were bad at curling that's mm-hmm. the one thing we did try I'm thinking anything else no not golf um we're going to talk about be- uh, hoops in a second so it's just not going to happen for us but these are amazing people they work their entire life get up at 5 a.m work 10 hours a day to try to do that. And you've seen some of and them to watch it happen. You've seen some of them test positive for COVID, right. even though they've been vaccinated. But it can bring um, tears to your eyes. The, oh, the again, human and the storytelling behind yeah, it. Yeah. And the human achievement and pe- what people sacrifice but, to get to that. And, and the head of the WHO saying this is right. kind of the hope that people need right now. Yes. Too. Chipotle. I don't know how uh, I try to go to our Chipotle and it's it's so hard. I've, I've given up Chipotle down in Springfield. Uh, Chipotle earnings beat estimates and revenue surpassed pre-pandemic levels as dine-in customers returned to restaurants. Uh, food and beverage costs fell nearly 3% from a year ago due to uh, menu price hikes and lower beef prices. Digital sales grew 10.5%, accounting for nearly half of the company's quarterly sales. But the company expects that trend to reverse. And here is CEO Brian Nickel on Closing Bell. The thing that I keep an eye on are the absolute dollars that we're doing in our digital business, because uh, that continues to grow. You know, we had the addition of the quesadilla to our digital platform. Our rewards program now is over 23 million people. So I think we're going to grow in absolute dollars from here. But as our dining rooms come back, we're seeing more people show up for lunch. You know, we're seeing more occasions happen in the restaurant. The percentages probably will change a little bit. Shares of uh, Chipotle up 80 Five dollars, uh, five and a half percent on uh, those results. A headline out that AMC and the apes will want to know that Adam Aaron has now retained his position as CEO, but he's also being named uh, chairman of the board. Andrew, if you were, Becky, if you were going to put out a, a, you know, a help wanted CEO of AMC, think of the attributes you'd need at this point and how uniquely Adam Aaron, there's nobody else that they were going to get to run that place. He's, he is walking the line like, what's the low on the stock? $1.91. It's at 42 Heck of a job, Brownie. I mean, that is pretty unbelievable. Is it not to go from $2 to 4 And to balance actually trying to improve the fu- underlying fundamentals of the company to take it into the future and satisfying and having the, the loyalty of the apes. I mean, that's almost impossible to do, and he's done it. Well, that's so a pretty I, full-time task in itself. I yeah, think. that's what that would be your in your help wanted. It's like able to do this ABC, able to do everything. By the way, the same thing with, with Ryan Cohen, though. I think they're totally two different businesses. Right. How much, can I ask a real question? And I, no, look, I, I wish you wouldn't, No, no. the apes are all fine I, I right actually now. think that Adam, Adam Aaron's doing a terrific job, given the, the hand he's been dealt. Yeah. Life is relative, but... Do, do you actually ascribe the success and the stock price to Adam Aaron or to uh, to any of these I think folks keep at this point? Extent. Yeah, keeping the apes happy is yeah. is well, why the stock keeping is, them in the stock. And knowing who sure your knowing, knowing who your yeah, knowing who your exactly. backers are. It's it's not the yeah. 
you know, the fundamental long-term um, investor right now. So, and I, we, we express some chagrin and sort of raise an eyebrow. It's like, wait a second, your clientele are now the apes, not the the institutional types that want you to close yeah. down and you know, restructure and all these things. It's not them. And he admitted it. He goes, "These guys paying my salary right now." I think it's, I, you know, smart to be able to go with the flow like that. And I have trouble. Because you don't like change. Not much. Not much. It's got rinse. But it's not only that. I, I, I don't know. I, struggle, I just struggle with the whole thing. Because you never like the memes. Well, stuff. because effectively what you need to do as a CEO today is effectively take advantage of your own shareholders to have success. That's basically what you have to do. Right? That's, that's what's happening but here. The, there's two sets of shareholders, though, is what you're saying. Because the apes are his shareholders. Yes, And, and that's no. what he's taking care of. Well, I don't really know if that's really true because he's play- he, I think he's actually playing for the long-term benefit of the company, which is which right. may very well be a very different set of shareholders long-term. At Andrew R. Sorkin? Is that- Send him to me. Okay. Don't at me, as they say. <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. They beat the Phoenix Suns uh, in game six last night, 105 to 98. Uh, this was the scene overnight in Milwaukee as Bucks fans celebrated their first title. Uh, in 50 years, a lot of weapons, a lot of weapons on the Bucks team. Even uh, Brock Lopez last night. I thought about recording it and trying to watch it and not know what's going on, but it's impossible, really, with, uh, with something like this, uh, with basketball. So I didn't see it, and, and we send out a uh, great season for, uh, for the Suns, uh, obviously, uh, obviously, as well. And we have friends that own the Bucks, uh, Mark Lazary and, and Wes Edens, both of those guys. This is amazing that they... Uh, that they pulled this off in this much time. It's been 50 years. This is where I was getting to. It's been 50 years since the Bucks uh, won. You remember who were, were on that team 50 years ago? I, I don't. No. Kareem. Oh, and really? It, yeah, and it was 1971, and I just looked at a, a picture of the team. The Big O was still playing until 1974. Oscar Robertson. I'm from Cincinnati. He was on the Royals. He began, I think, 1960. And I just saw this for a season. For a season, he averaged a triple-double. That's where you get more than you know, double points, assists, and rebounds. And to do it for an <laughs> average it for a season never been done uh, since, I don't think. He's one of the GOATs, along with, uh, with, with Michael Jordan. Uh, can there be more than one GOAT? I didn't know Kareem played for the Bucks. GOATs and Kareem, one of the GOATs? I think there's yeah, only yeah. one. Huh? I think there, there's only there, one. There is only one? Mm. Michael Jordan? Yeah. I mean, that's what, what that would be my... There's guys vying. Ruling, but there's, there's other people who have other views. Anyway, it was, that was a great, uh, great series. And, and I, I have to, once again, thank the people in New Jersey who legalized gambling for, for rejuvenating my love and interest in, in these things. Because you put $5 on something, and I've got sweaty palms. I do, at the end of, of games, because of, uh, because of $5. Coming up, Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg on infrastructure and the pandemic's lightning-fast acceleration of telecom technology. We're executing our strategy that we laid out seven years ago. It's clearly bearing fruit right now in all the areas from the broadband to the 5G to the 4G. Squawk Pod will be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. 
At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Today, like every morning, Squawk Box on CNBC was live from the NASDAQ market site in New York's Times Square. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. I'm going to go to Joe because he's in a special place. What's going on? If you've got it, flaunt it. If we can come up here and do this, we are going to. And that's why I'm here. Um, I'm not Jeff Bezos, but I'm scared here. So I probably would not have been uh, a very good participant. We're on the 10th floor from what we call the Squawk Terrace. And on this warm summer day in New York City, with the sounds of returned traffic below. Yeah, quick swap out here. We are still here atop the, the building, right here in the middle of Times Square. Becky Quick spoke to Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg just after the telecom company reported financial results for the second quarter of 2021 that topped Wall Street's expectations as more consumers adopt things like 5G phones and unlimited data plans. Hans, running through the numbers, uh, on an adjusted basis, 137 for the earnings per share. That was seven cents better than the street was expecting. $33.8 billion better than the $32.7 billion the street was looking for on revenue. You beat on the postpaid phone subscriber estimates, but beat on just about everything here. And I, I think what maybe is most important is you raised your guidance for the full year by more than just the seven cents that you beat by this quarter. So you're looking for this stronger than anticipated growth to continue through the year? Yeah. No, I think we... We're executing our strategy that we laid out several years ago. Uh, it's clearly bearing fruit right now in all the areas we're executing, all the way from the broadband to the 5G to the 4G. So I think the team is doing a great job. And, and as I said, I mean, you see it in the numbers right now. Even if you compare to 2019, we're up on every metric. I mean, 2020, second quarter was, of course, a little bit special. Uh, so, no, really good performance in the team. And, but, we, you know, we know what we're doing. We have an extremely uh, good base of customers. We have the best networks. We have a differentiated offering with our Disney+, Plus, Discovery+, Plus. very different from anyone else when it comes to strategy. We're into mobile edge compute with 5G, fixed wireless access. So we, we have a great strategy that we're executing on, and, and the team is performing well. You know, consumers are pretty flush right now, and having your phone is probably more important than ever. Are, are you able to capitalize on that, or do you think that this is actually stealing market share from other companies right now? No, I think you see that we're actually gaining uh, more than our fair share, and I think that it's coming from that, first of all, the economy is coming back. We basically have equally much traffic in the stores right now as we have pre-pandemic. We almost have the same patterns of people moving around in a mobile network. So we see much more traffic in the dense urban areas again. Uh, and, and of course, then 5G is uh, on the brink right now. We have now 20% of our customers have a 5G phone. We have step-ups and basically 60% of our new accounts in the quarter are taking the unlimited premium, which is sort of the highest level of 5G. Uh, and the step-ups where 
where our customers is going to the next level of, of our unlimited is also very high. So, no, it's a lot of things happening, but again, it's a long-term strategy we're executing on, and it's, it's actually performing well. We've been checking in with you throughout the pandemic just about what the consumer looks like, especially uh, post-pandemic. Are they getting back out there? And you mentioned that there's more traffic in dense urban areas like this, but is it back to the normal levels that we've it's seen pre? It's almost back to normal uh, uh, in the dense urban areas right now. There are places that actually are the same as 2019 for the same time period. But there, there are some small differences. And remember, we measure that on handovers in the network, how people are moving around. And for sometimes here in New York, for example, we were down 60%, meaning people right. were staying home. They didn't move. Now we're almost back to how it looked before. So clearly our strategy to build a lot of capacity in dense urban areas with our millimeter wave is now starting to turn out to be an excellent decision. You, you gave some guidance on the CapEx for this year, too. $17.5 to $18.5 billion that you're planning to spend this year. And I think it was 2 to $3 billion from that $10 billion additional that you were going to spend out over seven yeah. years. Um, 5G, I have to say, you know, it's, it feels like it's here, but I think it's still less than 10% of your phone customers have 5G at this point. When it's, does it... it's actually more than that. It's 20% of our customers having a 5G phone. Okay. Yeah, so it's going and very fast. And that's going really fast, because I was yeah, looking at numbers from not long it's ago. It's ahead of the number we gave at our investor day in the beginning of the year, where we believe in 2023 we're going to have over 50% of our customers. So we're already in the 20. And you see that momentum. People want to have 5G, and of course they want to be on our network. How many of the new phones that, that people come in and get are 5G at this point? What percentage? I would say the, a, a big portion of it. Uh, and the Remember also, we bought Spectrum in the beginning of the year. Right. Basically, all the 5G phones we have sold since the beginning is also C-band capable. So, meaning that Spectrum that we bought for 53 billion US dollars is also going to be usable when we turn it on. You know, I, I was just looking over our shoulder, and you've got some Yahoo signage from the building back yeah, here. Yeah, great company. Right. Fantastic with, performance in the second quarter. <laughs> right. But with the changing profile of your company yeah. and AT&T's company with the Time Warner spinoff, what, what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of how you compete, what you do, and... I wouldn't. I think we, we, we look at Verizon. I, mean, I, I wouldn't compare to them. But, of course, we actually have done a fantastic job of bringing sort of the Verizon Media Group from really distributed to a very holistic platform thinking. They are growing over 50% in this quarter. But in the next step, you need new investments and, in a, and sort of continue this growth right now. And uh, Apollo is a good owner for that. We're going to have a stake. We're going to focus on our core business, continue to invest in that in order to have the best return on investment. So I think it, it was a good move and uh, when it comes to the divestment that will happen probably around the end of this quarter. You know, um, I, I know that you write kind of a letter, um, a goals letter for every job you've ever gone out for since maybe back to 1993 or 92. Yeah, correct. So you write out this letter where you explain to whoever your boss is going to be or the board of directors what your plans are. And I know, I know you did that for this job too. Have you checked off the goals that you put in that letter? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I think the majority in that letter that I called Verizon 2.0 uh, that was done in the early oh, mid-2017 and 2017, a lot of the things that I wanted to do with the mid-band spectrum, building, being first on 5G, capture the market, divesting over time, um, Verizon Media Group, changing the structure, great, creating a new team. I think a lot to have done, and, and that's why we now see the, the benefits of it. And we, we still have a lot to do, uh, and I'm, I'm encouraged what I see. The team is performing well. We have heard from some companies this week, including Apple, that they're going to push off bringing the majority of their employees back to, back to the office just because of the Delta variant, not knowing what's happening with that. And I know you have a diverse work, workforce. You've got 
what is it, 120,000 people total? 140,000 people or employees. I would say 35,000 of them never went home. They have been in the field. We are critical infrastructure. So they have been in the stores serving our customer or being installing broadband at the hospital at their worst time. So we have that. But the other uh, office employees, as we call them, they are gradually coming back. So we have now three months where we gradually come back in more of a hybrid in a very controlled way, and we actually let the employees decide when they come in, but we encourage them for certain times. Started with that last week, and it, it's going pretty well. People want to come back. They, they want to be together. They want to be at the cafeteria and the water cooler and have the conversation. So, uh, But it's not going to be exactly the same as before. It's going to be more virtual and uh, more optionality. But clearly, we see a, a gradual uh, uh, sort of uh, integration here over the next couple of months. You, you have partnerships with so many of the content companies for, for streaming. Exclusive. Exclusive partnerships yeah. with these. Um, and, and first of all, it's been a big part of the growth. Um, I think has helped with subscribers. Um, what do you watch, if anything? Because I can't imagine you have much downtime. I know every hour of your day is pretty much scheduled. Is there anything uh, you're there watching? If there's anything, I watch, I, I watch sports. I love sports, so of course that I do. But in general, I try to follow the trends, what's happening in the market. And as I said, we... We had an idea from the beginning with our strategy that we can work with any content provider that had the same brand values and that our customer base would have. And remember, we started with Apple Music, Disney Plus, Discovery Plus. Now we do gaming with the Apple and with Google. Uh, we see it as a clear differentiator in the market. Nobody else can do it. We use our distribution, which is the biggest in the market, the best network and the brand. So again, we get the money from the people working with us to create new value, which is totally unique for us. We see it happening in other markets right now, but we were the first one doing it. Um, it's the Olympics coming up. And it's actually started. It, it's just started. We, yeah. we watched the game this morning, and I don't know if everyone knows that your last job before this was to be in charge of the Swedish Olympic delegation. Yeah. You were in charge of that whole thing. Yeah. And there happened to be a game this morning between Sweden and the United States for the women's soccer teams. How involved, how active are you, how much do you watch uh, so, of course, that, that was sort of a dream job before this dream job <laughs> to be the chairman of the Swedish Olympic Committee. So I'm following Swedish sports very closely. And of course, it was a soccer game between, I would say, the two best teams in the world on the female side, uh, between US and Sweden. Of course, it's always a, a big competition, but uh, apparently Sweden came out as a winner. Ah, oh, so I know you're a little excited about that. I mean, that was a big deal because yeah. Sweden won at the end of Brazil, at the yeah. end of the Rio games, yeah. and this was going to be the U.S. team's chance to catch back up. You saw that match, right? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a long uh, tournament. Uh, anything can happen, but of course it's a good start for Sweden. Hans, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time, and uh, it's great to see you in person. Yeah, the same. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hans. Joe, we'll send it back over to you. Pretty cool up there, isn't it, Beck? Very cool. It is pretty cool. Liking it up here. Yeah, I know it. But did you look around? I mean, it takes a lot to do that. There's a lot of people. Andrew's asking me, can we do it all the time? I mean, we need to. Uh, well, I am. Uh, look, turn around and look how far you are from the ledge. I can't help but thinking I want to go out there and look it's down. It's a but fat it, ledge. I'm not going to fall over. I know, Woo! but it's only like eight feet. Eight feet to ten, to, a, to like a ten-story drop, which and my legs got like a little quivery. Anyway, big hour. I'm not going. Uh, on Blue Origin uh, anytime soon. Cheese will be next. 
Next on Squawk Pod, artist Damien Hurst. Which would I rather own? The Mona Lisa itself, you know, with all the difficulties of looking at it because of all the tourists, or the merchandising possibilities, the T-shirts and the postcards and the earrings and the mugs. And it's like, I love both. One of the most financially successful living artists on the promise of commerce. I guess the worst thing for an artist is being ignored or disappearing without a trace. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Damien Hirst, the British contemporary artist, is known for experimenting with new forms and new ideas. He became famous and familiar around the world for a series of dead animals preserved in formaldehyde. There was a tiger shark, a cow with gold hooves and horns, and for his eye-popping sales at auction houses. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and a warm welcome to Sotheby's and this historic sale. Damien Hirst, beautiful inside my head forever. There are no lots withdrawn for the cell, and we will start here with lot number one. Now, Hearst is putting a new twist on the NFT craze, digital ownership of visuals. The project consists of 10,000 colorful spot paintings. It's a style he's been doing for years. These are on paper. Each painting corresponds to a digital NFT. It's called the currency. And like money, each sheet contains a holographic image. This one is of Hearst, as well as a signature. And instead of a serial number, like on your dollar bills, there's a unique message. And after a few months, owners can make a choice whether they want to keep the NFT or the painting, with the other being destroyed. Huh, decisions. He described it all on Squawk Box today. Here's Andrew. Damien, it's great to see you this morning. Good to see you. Good morning. So t- tell us about this project, because this is your, your first entry into the NFT uh, world. I know you've done some other things in this sort of space, but this is a particularly unusual uh, effort insofar as you're, you're creating this option for the buyer to either keep the physical painting or an NFT. Where did the idea come from? Um, well, I was thinking about prints and prints, you know, I, I, you know, I could do an edition of like 500 and it seems like quite a lot. But then I started thinking that if you made more than that and, you know, carried on making them up to about 10,000, it started to operate a bit like a currency. So, you know, a lot of people have kind of talked to me about my work and said that, you know, I'm often more interested than money than art. So I thought it'd be really amusing to kind of play with it in this way. And and what are you expecting in terms of how people are going to think about this? Do you think more people are going to end up buying or keeping, I should say, the physical piece of art or the NFT? Is the NFT what makes this valuable this time around? I mean, I think I have to buy into the fact that the NFT and the painting, you know, one's physical art and the other one is, you know, it's an NFT, it's digital art, but they're both art and they're both equal. So I had to buy into that first and I have to buy into the idea that I'm happy with destroying physical art and destroying the NFTs. But I think I've got absolutely no idea what people will do. I mean, that's why it's exciting. I mean, that's when the project got really exciting was when I realized that 
you couldn't have both if I don't let people have both because you know a lot of people in the physical art world really don't like the digital art world and vice versa um, and I think it's really great to see what will happen but really I've got no idea you're going to be paid in Ethereum I believe do you plan to keep the Ethereum or do you plan to turn it into cash I'll keep it I mean I love you know I love all the currencies it's like you know I mean, I bought in the when I made money on my cherry blossom prints. I did these prints where I first took cryptocurrency. I bought CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, and MeBits. I think we spoke yesterday about that, and uh, um, I, I forgot that I bought those. But yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of using the currency to work in that world. Damien, uh, you took on this this issue head on just a couple minutes ago, talking about money, and you you are probably one of the most financially successful artists, probably in in history, maybe the most. A financially successful living uh, artist. Did you ever have a problem trying to, to balance both sides, art versus commercialism? Or, and I would think the more commercially successful you, you become, the more are you, you're able to sell more art, and you actually can even be more widespread, and you're, you're getting to the same place where you wanted to go in the first place, and, you know, the money's not bad either. I think it's a lot easier to make art when you haven't got any money. I think money's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to deal with, especially because the sort of whole history of it goes back to that Van Gogh thing where you're actually, you know, supposed to be a starving artist in your garret and, you know, you put your paintings in the corner and wait to be discovered. Um, but I think, you know, I, I took a lot from Andy Warhol, who was like probably one of the first artists who made it okay for artists to make money. You know, he said, you know, he called his studio a factory. Um, and we can't forget, you know, that factories make dog food, but they also make, you know, supersonic cars and things like that. So a factory is not a bad thing in itself, but the idea of an artist with a factory is a bad thing. Um, but I've always tr tried to challenge it. I mean, I, you know, I, I always think that art should be about everything. And I think that money is as important in our lives as something like love. So I've tried to use it as a component of what I do in art. Hey, Damien, long term, as we think more about digital art and NFTs and the like, 10, 20, 30 years from now, do you think that we're going to go to uh, galleries and look at effectively screens on a wall? I mean, do you think that is the future of art or do you think it's going to be physical? Um, I think that digital art is probably going to last a lot longer than galleries. I mean, you know, we probably won't be going into galleries. We'll be sat in bars showing each other what we've recently bought on our phones. And that's kind of what we're doing now. I mean, I just think Anything that looks good and feels good, and makes you feel good, it, you know, it's, it's good art. And that doesn't have to be in a gallery. I mean, somebody once said to me, how do you know when something is art? And I said, well, if it's in a gallery, it's pretty likely it's going to be art. But, you know, it, you know, the gallery, you, you look at this sort of what's happening in NFTs and you can kind of see the galleries disappearing before you see the NFTs disappearing. David, how do you explain to somebody? And by the way, I had this conversation with my father um, that there's a value that there's more of a value to a piece of art that has an NFT attached to it, meaning that this is the original version of it, compared to the copy of it, which I could potentially view for free, um, even though on a screen they look like the same thing. I mean, all great artists have always had great print markets, you know, and it goes right back to, you know, to the Industrial Revolution and even before. And it's like, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a new thing that artists want to reproduce things. I mean, I've often thought about it, like, in terms of the Mona Lisa, which would I rather own? The Mona Lisa itself, you know, with all the difficulties of looking at it because of all the tourists and the bulletproof glass, or the merchandising possibilities, the T-shirts and the postcards and the earrings and the mugs. And it's like, I love both. And it's like, art exists in the world we live in today in both those areas. 
And I think, you know, as an artist, I want to kind of reach people. And I think the postcard is really appealing. So the NFTs, you know, create that for an artist. You know, and as long as, you know, I, I, I guess the worst thing for an artist is, is being ignored or disappearing without a trace. So the more you can get your ideas and your images out there, the better you feel. And then finally, I was going to ask you just what you make of the art market unto itself right now in terms of just what feels like... Um, some very high valuations for art, and maybe that's part of an economic cycle. You've been through a number of them. Where are we? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, we still live in a world where dead guys sell for more money. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it, I mean, you know, if a lot, I always think if two people have got a lot of money and there's not a lot of something then, and they want it, then they're going to pay a lot of money for it. So I don't really get frightened by the large numbers. But I guess it's it's reassuring. I mean, I did an auction where I sold, you know, um, a lot of my works in two days, and I, I got $200 million in two days, which was an enormous amount of money. But, you know, with that money, you know, you can buy two Picasso paintings. So I guess it still makes sense to me. But um, who knows how the world's changing in the future. Damien Hurst, uh, we appreciate uh, you joining us this morning. Wish you a lot of luck with this project, and uh, we'll be following it. It'll be very interesting to see what the valuations are of this uh, months from now, and also whether people end up holding the NFT or the or the physical work. So, thank you. Yeah, it, it ends at 3 p.m. today. 3 p.m. today uh, for the for the first try. But uh, by the way, there's going to be a secondary market for this stuff. And unlike normal art, you're going to actually get a royalty. I believe a five percent, which is half of what a lot of these others uh, or other NFTs have taken, as people sell it to other people in the future, which is so which is also sort of the unique element of this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were saying that the galleries can't think small enough. <laughs> nice to see you. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks. Paying attention to detail and knowing how to negotiate. Yep. That's the podcast for today. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you join us every day or as often as you can listen. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, really wherever you find podcasts. You can find today, yesterday, and hundreds of back interviews from Squawk Box. We will meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.